You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. It's a very difficult parasha, the most difficult parak, the most difficult chapter in the entire Torah. The Tochacha, Perak Chavchet, is in this week's parasha. Maybe we'll get to talk about that sometime at length. Um, but I want to focus on the beginning. We just finished Parashat Kitesei. When you go to war, you're in battle. Elulzman fighting my demons. We finished with Zechorah Tashir Asalcha Amalek. Right? Anybody who isn't Yotze, who didn't fulfill the mitzvah of, um, of, of, of Timchet Zechor Amalek, which we usually do on Parashat Zechor, but this year for some people, Corona, they didn't get to do it. You can do that in the parish of Kitetze, the battle against Amalek, against evil. And in the Torah, in the scroll, the very next topic is Kitavol Aretz, when you will come into the land of Israel. You finish the war, you beat Amalek, you did what you have to do, you're coming into Eretz Israel. What is the first thing you have to do when you come into Eretz Israel? So if I asked you a list of what you would pick as the topic that the Torah would say, when you get to the land of Israel, I would say, oh, so we got one second. We just got, this is a chance to introduce somebody you're all going to get to know, right? Going to turn this around. Oh, I just lost, did I just lose you? Wait a second. Oh, that's crazy. Hang on. You're good, you're good. You're good, one second. Something went, here we go. Here we go. Gotcha. So, this is Uri Lorcas. Uri Lorcas, wave. Uri Lorcas was Shanabet a couple years ago. He was in San Hamim, he was in the army. Okay? And um, he's finishing the army and he's going to be joining us as a show Lumation with the base Medrash. Kind of 50, little bit Madrich, mostly just uh, to be an extra talent in the base. So you're going to get to know him when you get back here, Mizrat Hashem. Okay? So, um, so, so, Kitavol Aretz. I would think. Uh, you actually, yeah, you have to keep your mask on because you're not in the pocket. Uh, I, I would think that, um, you know, when you get into the land of Israel, build a Beit HaMikdash. When you get into the land of Israel, um, prepare to, 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 to till the soil. What does it start here with? When you come into the land of Israel, Hashem gives you Nachala as an inheritance. And you shall inherit it, and you shall dwell in it. Okay. Whether that's a promise right, or an assumption is an interesting question. And you shall take from the first fruits of all of the vegetables, all of the produce. You have to take the first fruits the first of the harvest, the beginning of the harvest. By the way, you look in the Rambam, Hilchos Bikurim, based on the Mishnayot, right? Uh, there's a Mishnah known as Mishnah Bikurim. This, of course, is called Bikurim, first fruits, right? The best. So you have to take the best fruits. You can only do this once they're ripe. You can't, uh, it has to be the best. Visamta batene. And you have to place it in a basket, right? Vialachta la makoma Hashem lokecha and you have to go up to that place that Hashem has chosen to dwell in, which we interpret as the Makoma Mikdash, as the place of the base of Mikdash. This is a funny thing to start with. First fruits, that's the big deal when you get into Israel. Shouldn't you first inherit the land? 
Shouldn't you first conquer the land? Like, why is this? What is Achaz is doing here? Uvata al Hakohen. Now, what do you do with first fruits? You bring them up to the Beit Hamidash, but for some reason, you have to go to the Kohen. Asheriyeh bayamimahem. You have to go to the coin that will be in those days. That's a powerful line. Every generation has its kohanim. You have to go to the coin of your day. Okay? And there's a whole recipe. When I was a kid, there was a big fat sitter. Maybe some of you remember this. It's called the Minchas Yushalayim. It's an unbelievable sitter. It was like 700 pages. It was a little pocket sitter that you could never fit in your pocket. It had everything in it. Anybody ever see this sitter? Everything in it. I mean, if you want to know how to take chumas and masros, this sitter had it. You want to have all the safer to him? This sitter had it. One of the things in this is, so one time I was bored. I was in this camp called Camp Stechemet as a start camp. I don't know, Shabbos afternoon I was bored. So I started going through this sitter. Like, what's in this sitter? Like, well, you know, chakras is 50 pages. I found the Nusach of Bikurim. Like the actual nusach, the version of what you say, when you go up to the Beit Midash with the first fruits. So I went over to the Ram the Rebbein, that was in the camp, it was a Pirchai Guda camp, and I said to him, do, do we, do, is there a mitzvah today to do Bikurim? Do we do Bikurim today? He said, no. You know, you have to have a base of English, you have to have Kwanim. So I said, what's this doing in the Siddur? Why is it here? He said, what do you mean? He said, when they build the base of English, Mashiach comes. You're going to already have the sitter you need. Everybody else is going to have to go buy one. Stark. Right? So you go to a coin, and there's a whole nusach. Anybody know where else we find this nusach? Shana Aleph, guys. Where else? The actual language of what I say when I bring up your Does anybody know where else it's easy to find that? Most of it? Anybody? Okay, so we'll ask the Shana Bet guys. Shana Bet guys, am I a sage? It's in the Haggadah. Remember this line, Arami Ovei Davi? which could mean many different things. My father was a wandering Aramean, right? That could be Avram, right? Arami Ovedavi, the Aramean wanted to destroy my father. That could be Lava. It's an interesting question who this is, right? Vayisham l'goy gadol atzum varav, we were in Mitzrayim, we became a great nation. Vayareo otanu amitrim vayanunu, shtickle history lesson. We once went to Egypt, they, we suffered, what happened? What, what, what is this all about? Why am I doing this? Vanitzak al Hashem, I called out to Hashem, Vaishma Hashem et Koleinu, Vayaratanyenu, Vetamaleinu, Vetachatzenu. By the way, it's valuable to study this piece. It, there's some amazing things that you can do with this in terms of preparing for the Seder. Vayotzienu Hashem Mitzrayim, Vechazkav Zudna Hashem took us out from Egypt. Vayivienu ala makomazei, brought us to this place. Vayten lanot aras azot, and he gave us this land, Eretz Zavat Chalav Utvash. Now I've brought the first fruits that you gave to me, Hashem. And you shall set it down before God, which means by the Mizbeach. And you have to bow down. Okay? This is the first time that you find an actual obligation of bowing down. You don't find this in us. Unbelievable. You bring your first fruits, if you don't bow down, you don't fulfill the mitzvah, you're not done. Visamachta, Perakhavav Pasak Yiralif, right? Pasak eleven. Visamachta Bekhola Tova Shinatanakashem Lokekha Lubitech. 
and you shall rejoice amongst all the good that Hashem has done for you. So, what is this? What is this last puzzle? There are two possibilities what this last puzzle is. Right? When you come to the land, you're going to take your first fruits, you're going to go up to the temple, you're going to go up to the Beit Midash, you're going to fill a basket with the best, the first, the beginning of the fruits, right? You're going to go to a coin. You're going to read this whole thing out to the coin and put this basket on the ground and bow down. And then it says, And you will rejoice in all the good that Hashem gave you in your home. So here's an interesting question. What is that possible? What is that Pesach of rejoicing? There are two possibilities for what that Pesach is. Chaim Stanton. The, the Pardon? You have to speak up. The, the basket you give would either be accepted or rejected by the poem. The basket you give would either be accepted or rejected. Yeah. So if, so if the poem rejected it, because... Yeah, because You're not answering my question. This is a question for the end of Shia. What is this Pesach? Give me two possibilities and you shall rejoice. Anybody? Two possibilities what this Pesach is. You're going to go up, you're going to take the basket, you're going to say to God all these things, we were once a great, we went down to Egypt, became a great nation, we suffered, we got out, you brought us to the land, and you shall rejoice. Two possibilities. I'm looking for two different words. Anybody? Josh Wall? Okay, so I'm going to amend that then. You're suggesting a third possibility. One of it is that it's part of the thing, which I take it you mean the Nusach. Yeah. But the Nusach is a history lesson. The Samachta B'cholatov and you shall rejoice isn't part of the history. It's not saying I was once happy because I was in Egypt. So, v'samachta means, by the way, Rashi very often discusses this, the vav can be something that is past, it can be something that is future, it can be vav it can negate, and you shall rejoice. So what is that? It's inherently part of it. Pardon? It's inherently part of it. Yeah. It's inherently part of it. What would you call it? If you had to define it as a word, it is a what? And you shall rejoice. Two possibilities. Anybody here? Yes, uh, Vishay Maskowitz. Is he referring to something that's part of the process? Like, meaning, could it be like, uh, like you should, you should like eat something, like eat? Oh, so if it's part of the process, what would you call that? You have to bring up the basket, you have to recite this thing, and you have to rejoice. You would call it an an obligation. One possibility is it's an obligation. What's the other possibility? It's a opportunity. An opportunity. Nope. It's a fact. Pardon? It's a, fact. a fact? Well, if it's a fact, then what is a it? Is it consequence? a consequence? You would say, okay. So we have an obligation, a consequence, a natural consequence. A natural consequence. The consequence of this is that you'll rejoice. Can you give me a third possibility? It's an obligation. It's a consequence. Promise. Or a promise. It's a suggestion. <laughs> it's definitely not. It's definitely not a suggestion. It's a pasuk. It's in the part of. So there are three possibilities here. 
It's a consequence, which is really a promise. I promise you that the consequence of this will be you will rejoice. Or, <coughs> it's a promise. You want to suggest something else. Al Demont. Is it Demont or Diamond? Diamond. Diamond? Yeah. Okay, I, sorry about that. Yes, Al Diamond. It's an illusion. It's what? An illusion. What do you mean an illusion? It's referring to something else. Okay, then you'd have to explain to me what that would be. It says, V'samachten, you shall rejoice. Either it's saying you have to be happy, or it's saying if you do this, you will be happy. Right? It's a consequence or a promise. Those are really two possibilities, which is what we started with. Now the Rambam, interestingly enough, by the way, how would I measure this? If it's a promise... Right? Then if you bring Bikurim, you'll be happy. If you fulfill this mitzvah, right? Okay, so then even if I'm not happy, I bring Bikurim and hopefully I'll get happy. But if it's actually um, an obligation, well then that would mean that if I can't be happy, I can't fulfill the obligation. How would I test this? Halakhically. Anybody want to make a suggestion? How would I test whether the issue is that I'm obligated, Right? And therefore, if I can't be happy, I can't do this. Or it's a promise that I'll end up being happy. Could you think of a way to halakhically test this? Would there be a case that would test this? Anybody? Find another point in Tanakh where the word v'samachta is used in a similar context. Oh, that's a different discussion because you're right, there's something we haven't done yet. We're about to get there. We'll get back to you. Hold that thought, Josh Shapiro. Yeah? Anybody? Sage? Ah, what if a person's in Avel? What person's in mourning? Okay, person's in mourning, right? For example, there's a mitzvah on Sukkot with Samachta bechagecha. There's a mitzvah to be Sameach. Okay, what if you're in Avel? Can you fulfill the mitzvah of Simcha when you're in mourning when you're sitting Shiva? Can't do it. So, in fact, you know, I remember. There was a boy, Amika Mamiur. He was the most wonderful boy. I remember him always smiling. He was very close with Rav Riskin's son, Yoni. And I spent a lot of time in Rav Riskin's home, so I got to know this boy. And he was like that kid who was like the class clown. He was a little big, a little bit of a schlub. You know, you could tell he wasn't the guy you picked first to be on your basketball team. But he was like a cute guy, you know, a nice boy. He grew up, and he became a big boy. And then he went to the army. And he found himself in the army. He was in Givati, which is one of these elite uh, infantry units. And um, the war, uh, uh, I don't know, this, this wouldn't be familiar to you, but when they opened up the Kotel tunnels, um, the Arabs all over the country rioted. It was a terrible, terrible week. It's called the Tunnel Riots. It became known. This was in 1996, I think, 97. And uh, uh, all over the country, in the Shtachim, in the territories, in Yudav Shamran. Israeli soldiers started to get into all sorts of violent confrontations with Arabs. It was a terrible, terrible week. Shootings on the road, Molotov cocktails. Amikam Amiur was in a unit in Givati. They were sent into Aza. Um, there was a, 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 a lookout position on top of a water tower, and the soldier up there was hit by a sniper and he was wounded. And Amikam Amiur, who was a sergeant already, saw this, and he climbed up on the water tower to get this boy down. Now, that was actually against regulations. Uh, it's known that one of the things that snipers do 
it's better for a sniper to actually wound someone than to kill him. Because if you wound someone in battle, then he ends up taking up energy from other soldiers who have to take him off. Plus, the sniper then gets a chance to shoot other soldiers. Right? If somebody is killed, God forbid, you're not going to risk your life to get the body in right now. If somebody's wounded, you want it, and that's exactly what happened. So Amikama Mayura climbed out on top of this water tower, and he was hit by the sniper. He died trying to save his comrade. Uh, this was the day before Erev Sukkot. So they finally, they got the body, whatever. The funeral was in Efrat, an Erev Sukkot. An Erev Sukkot, can you imagine? Because it's in Israel, the, the eve of a holiday, of a festival, nobody goes to work on Erev Sukkot. So there were 6,000 people. The whole town of Efrat, which at the time was half the size, came to the Leviah. They had to do the eulogies, they spayed him outside. By the time they finished the eulogies, and they were ready to go, it was getting late in the afternoon. And normally you would think, Erev Chag, people have to go, get ready for... Everybody came to the cemetery. Thousands upon thousands of people. Because it was a soldier, because it was killed, because of the family. When we finally finished the Kavura, it was about an hour before Yom Tov. And everybody went back home. I remember this. It was intense. And we showered. And you basically had 20 minutes. The family sat shiver for about 20 minutes. And Yom Tov breaks the shiva. The shiva was over. And they got up, and they went to Shul. Can you imagine? You're sitting in Shul, you just buried a soldier, and you have a mitzvah of v'samachta v'chagecha. You are obligated to be happy. How could you be happy? And I remember of Riskin understood that the entire community was struggling with this. By the way, that family, that night, the Amir family, had to go home to Yom Tov dinner. I'm sure it was like Tisha B'Av. And they had to sit in the sukkah. They have an obligation sit in the sukkah. And they had to make the bracha leshiv basukkah. And you know what else they had to do? They had to make the bracha, the blessing of shehechi Can you imagine? You just, you can't imagine. We can't imagine. You just buried your son in a military funeral. And two hours later, you're sitting down to Yom Tov dinner in your sukkah. And it's, the table is set and it's beautiful. And his seat is empty. Because everybody has their seat and he has his seat at the table and nobody's going to sit there. And you have to make the bracha, thank you God, blessed are you Hashem, Chiyanu, who sustained us and caused us. So the whole community was in pain. So Rav Riskin, who was my Rebbe for many years and that's a whole other discussion, his greatest gift for Riskin is he understands these issues. He knows how to speak to the heart of a community. So the next morning in Shul, the whole community packed into his Shul. Hundreds and hundreds of people. And he gave a shiur on the topic. And he asked that question. And he said, you know, how can it be that Yom Tif breaks the shiva? What a cruel halacha. Just because of the obligation of simcha. So he quoted Rav Soloveitchik, and he said, you know, Rav Soloveitchik says that there are two components in the Jewish people. There is Reb Yisrael, and there is Am Yisrael. Reb Yisrael, the individual, is in pain. But Am Yisrael, Am Yisrael is a different story. I remember once, I was at a wedding. And it was, uh, it was a wedding of a girl who had been through Israelites. An unbelievable story. And I had been close with her when she was an Israelite, which was kind of the predecessor of Orita, sort of outreach, whatever. And um, 
I hadn't stayed so close with her, but because I was a real part of her journey to become religious, so she invited me to the wedding. And she was like a, a, a case in and of herself, and she married a boy, and the boy was an orphan. It was an unbelievable story. So even though I might not normally have, I said, I'm going to the chuppah, like I want to see this chuppah, it's amazing chuppah. And, um, I, you know, they actually, uh, in fact, it's funny, I was sitting there, the boy had become a Balchuva, he was a, a got in the Sephardi Yeshiva and became very stark, you know, black hat, the whole thing, whatever that means. And um, so there were a lot of big Sephardi Talmud Chachamim there. I actually think Rav Avad Yosef might have been at the wedding, but I know Rav, there was some big, um, it was Rav Amar. Anyway, it was a big wedding. So I was like sitting in the back and it was just nice to see this girl who had come so far and she was marrying into a religious home and, and so much joy, whatever. And at some point during the chuppah, and I was like just enjoying it, they were calling out to Rav and whatever, and um, there's like silence. And then they said, Rav and whatever, and I suddenly realized they were calling me up. Like not only did I not expect a call, but as soon as they say the word Rav and I figured I told them something else. It's like they do that. Everybody's a Rav Okay, fine. So I go up there and, you know, do a bracha or whatever. I'm the only guy without a hat. And it was like that kind of a wedding. And because I was so moved by the story and because of that, I felt uncomfortable, I wasn't going to leave, so I ended up staying for a while. And I had not intended to stay, my wife didn't come with me, but it was such a beautiful wedding and the dancing was so amazing, so I found myself staying, I was there, they were getting ready for benching. And I was, you know, sort of halfway through the dancing, whatever, and um, I see a very official looking delegation coming towards my table. They had that look of, we have a Shiloh, we have a question. Now, I was not like a big rav. I'm still not a big rav, but they were big rav. But I look around and I see all the big rabbinim had all gotten home. So I was like the rental rabbi for the night, okay. So I figured they had a question I had to do, shemrachs, whatever. They come over to me. And one of them I recognized, he's like the uncle or something. And um, the father, it's a terrible story, the father had a heart condition. And they were dancing to the yichud room, and he was so excited. And while they were dancing them to the Yichud room, he had a heart attack. Now they went into the Yichud room, and he, they realized they have to get into the hospital, so they called an ambulance, it was a whole big to-do. And I knew that that had happened, because, you know, you could sort of see something going on, and somebody said, yes, father, whatever, fine. But, you know, that was also part of why I stayed. And, uh, you know, but I wasn't close to them. So this delegation comes over, the father was just nifter. Father passed away the night, of, he was zochet to see his daughter get married, and he passed away. And they don't know what to do. Should they do Shevabachas? Wow. That's a question. That's a question. You're sitting there, they're going to bench. She's now an adult. She's a mourner. But she doesn't know yet. They didn't tell her. They told her the father and he, they, they lied. They said the father was, they took him to the hospital. He had a hard thing, but he, he asked her to keep dancing and he didn't want them to interrupt the wedding and so they shouldn't come till after the wedding. They made up some story. But now, do you say Shevabachas? Do you tell her? What do you do? I said, wow, you know what, give me five minutes. Thank God they were in the show. I said, I'm pretty sure you actually do Sheva Brachos, but don't tell her. Because if you don't tell her, she's not considered a mourner yet. Don't tell her. Do Sheva Brachos, and afterwards we'll figure out what to do. Should she shiva, she has Sheva Brachos. I run up to the, 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 and I find a Rambam. Do you know what the Allah is? The Allah is unbelievable. The Ramah Paskins, that not only does she not sit Shiva, is that if, the, if, if it can be that you wait, like if you're in Poland in the winter and it won't uh, be a problem for the body, you actually push off the funeral till after, you can push off the funeral till after the Sheva Brachos. But if you don't do that and they have the funeral, she doesn't sit Shiva, she's dead Sheva Brachos. At the end of the Sheva Brachos, she's a Shiva. So Salvechik explains, how could you do that? It's crazy Allah. 
Because the joy of a marriage is not just the joy of Reb Yisrael. It's the joy of Am Yisrael. And the joy of Am Yisrael, of the Jewish people, takes precedence over my individual pain. That's an unbelievable halacha. They buried their son, they're in pain. But the obligation to rejoice is not about me rejoicing. It's about being part of the rejoicing that even in my pain, I'm a part of Am Yisrael. And by the way, all of Am Yisrael's joy is a little less because of my pain. So now we can get back to this. So the halacha is that in Bikurim, if a person is an Avel, he doesn't bring Bikurim. You don't bring Bikurim. You don't bring the first roots to the base of Mikdash if you're an Avel, if you're a Mormon. So that means that this is an obligation. It's an obligation to be Basimcha. And if you're not Basimcha, then you can't fulfill the obligation, which of course leads us to one last question. How can you be obliged to experience Simcha? How can I command you to be happy? There's a mitzvah on the Chagim, on Sukkot. V'samachta b'chagecha. That is an obligation which you can fill, fulfill in certain ways. You are obligated to fulfill the mitzvah of v'samachta b'chagecha. It's an unbelievable mitzvah. How could you be obligated to rejoice? So what do we have to do? Obviously, we're in yeshiva. What do you have to do? Somebody? You have to define your terms. What is simcha? And I'm going to ask you one last question so that I can blow your mind. There is an unbelievable Rambam. The Rambam in Hilchos Sukkavululim. No, we can't have a Shia without a Rambam. The Rambam, this is, by the way, very easy to find, is the last halacha in Hilchos Lulav. Okay? By the way, if you look for Hilchos Lulav, Parak Aleph, you won't find it. Okay? Because there is no Parak Aleph. Right? This is, the beginning of this is Hilchot Shofar, and then it gets into Hilchot Sukkah, and because there are only a couple of brachim, the Rambam groups them together. So it's really Hilchot Shofar Sukkah Valulav. But in most Rambams, it's, this is Hilchot Shofar, this is Hilchot Okay. So the eighth parak of these halachos, which is Hilchot Lulav, the last halacha. Okay, it's in the book of Shonabek, guys. Which, which book is this in? Zmani. This is in the book of the Rambam. Right? Which deals with the times of things. Okay? Alright. The third Zephyr. Listen to this mitzvah. Halacha tetvav. Hasimcha. Sheismach adam beasiyata mitzvah. The simcha that a person has to do when he does a mitzvah. Ubavata kel. Avodah gdolahi. It's a very big thing. It's a very important part of our avodat Hashem. Listen to this. Whoever holds himself back from this joy, he is worthy of punishment, of consequence. How does the Rambam know this? That if you don't rejoice when you're supposed to, you're going to get in trouble. By virtue of the fact that you didn't serve Hashem B'Simcha, that's the Pusky quotes. Now you see a Rambam. The Rambam quotes a verse. What do you have to do? What do you have to do? Bailey Lerman. What do you have to do? I'm reading a Rambam. And it, he quotes a Pusk. What do I have to do? Bailey, you there? Your camera's there. You're frozen. Okay? Uh, Jake Stifelman. You see a Rambam? The Pusk says something. What do you have to do? What do you have to do? Anybody, come on, what do you have to do? You're learning a Rambam, he quotes a Pasuk. What do you have to do? He quotes a verse. Pardon? 
Some of you, am I frozen? Oh, I'm frozen. How do I undo the fact that I'm frozen? Whoa, I'm frozen. Am I frozen? Hang on. If you see a pasuk, you have to look it up. You see a pasuk in the Rambam, you have to look it up. See, look up this pasuk, and lo and behold, it is in this week's parsha. By virtue of the fact that you serve Hashem, that you didn't serve Hashem, so what is this? This verse is in the middle of the most difficult chapter in the entire Torah. It's known as the Tochacha. It's the terrible curses that will befall the Jewish people sometime in the future. This is an incredibly difficult... I, this is one of the few topics in the Torah you're actually allowed to learn on Tisha B'Av. It's, it's a painfully difficult chapter. I personally believe this is talking about the Holocaust. You could definitely debate that. You know, it starts off great. If you will listen to what Hashem says, then everything will be great. And your enemies will run before you and the land will produce its fruit. It'll be Gishmat. But, Pasuk Tetva, if you don't listen, then all of these series of curses and calamities will befall you. The Torah reader traditionally reads this in a lower voice. In fact, the Kloisenberger Rebbe, who was a Holocaust survivor, who rebuilt the Hasidus of Kloisenberg in Netanya um, after the war, but before that was in Bedford-Stuyvesant, um, came to Brooklyn, took over a hospital, and started to rebuild his Hasidus in Brooklyn after the war. Just so you understand who this person was, he went through the seven gates of hell, he was in the camps, he lost 11 children, all of his children, or 11 of 12, all of his children he lost. When he was in the ghetto, he refused to sit shiva for any of them. He said, how can I sit shiva for one child when thousands of children are being murdered? He established an underground railroad and he succeeded single-handedly in saving thousands of Jewish children. He was an unbelievable tzaddik, along with being a tremendous Torah scholar. And if you're curious sometime, maybe later in the q and I could tell you more about him. Unbelievable Tam Chacham. So Rabbi Riskin was 12 years old. Shlomo, then he was known as Stephen Riskin. And uh, it was a few months before his bar mitzvah. And he heard that the Kloisenberger Rebbe was coming to Brooklyn. He was like a Balchuva, he was just new to Judaism, through whatever. And he begged his parents to allow him to wear his bar mitzvah suit, which they let him do. And he went, he walked to the hospital to be there for Shabbos with the Kloisenberger Rebbe. And he tells the following story. When they got to the, the 28th portion in Dvarim, 28th chapter, Perk of Chet, and they started reading these verses, so the Balkari, the person who reads the Torah, Right? Traditionally, he lowers his voice. Right? Lowers his voice. So the Kloisenberger Rebbe, Holocaust survivor, towering Torah scholar, says, Echer! Louder! It's a strange thing to say. You're supposed to read it in lower voice. So the Balkore thought, okay, you know, maybe he's just older, he's hot. So he reads it a little, He says, Echer! Louder! He doesn't know what to do. So finally the closing book says, you don't understand. We read this in a lower voice because we hope it won't happen. But it's happened. We've just lived through every curse that is in this chapter. Read it out loud. Let God himself hear that this has happened. We're ready for the blessings. Unbelievable. So this parak is all about the terrible things that will befall us. mishuga. You will become mad from that which you see. You know, there's a book that Elie Wiesel wrote, Night. It's a painful book. 
I wouldn't recommend you read this on an Arab Shabbos. It'll ruin your Shabbos. But it's a powerful thing to read during the three weeks or in Tishabav or even in Tani Tester. You can read it in a couple of hours. It's his story of what he went through in Auschwitz from the perspective of a 12, 13-year-old. It's an unbelievable book. And in that, it's a thin book. And if somebody wants to borrow it, I think I have it in my office here. And one of the stories he shares in there, when, when he gets to Auschwitz from the ghetto in, in Hungary in Sigit, he ends up on the platform um, with his father. And they get them into a line. And he sees up ahead that there's a man in a white smock with a stethoscope. And he writes that you could sense the evil emanating from this person. That person, by the way, was Dr. Mengele. He was known as Malach Amavis, the angel of death. And he would stand at the head of the line and he would point to the right or to the left. Now, you didn't have to be a genius. First of all, they'd experienced the Nazis already. They were coming from the ghetto. And second of all, you saw that all the able-bodied, the adults, the people who looked like they could work went one way, and all the sick and the old and the little children went the other, you knew which line you had to get on. So there was a woman with two children, and she was a few people ahead of Elie Wiesel. And she gets to the head of the line, and Mengele Yemach has this this evil sneer in his SS splendid outfit with his stethoscope and his white coat. And he looks at her, he doesn't say a word. He just smiles. And he holds up one finger. And he points. And she doesn't get it. And he starts to scream at her. Du und ein! You and one! And she still doesn't get it. She has two children with her. And he looks at her and in that horrible, sneering way that only a Nazi on an Auschwitz platform can do, he leans into her, and Elie Wiesel can just barely hear, and he says, you choose. And she goes mad on the spot, and they cart all three of them away to their deaths. That was Elie Wiesel's introduction to Auschwitz. You will become mad from that which you see. And all day you will grope around in the darkness like the blind man gropes around in the darkness. And the commentaries say, what does that mean a blind man grows? For a blind man it's always dark. Because even the blind person knows that someone can help him. You will be in the reality that's so painful nobody will help you. There'll be no one to come to your aid. And, and the verses are, are on and on. Painful. And some of the most difficult things that we ever experienced. But the Malbim says all of the diseases that are listed there that will come upon the Jewish people, they're all diseases of overcrowding and, 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 and pestilence. Mamash, the Holocaust. And why does all this happen in Pasuk Memvav, right in the middle of these 60, 70 verses? It says, Tachat avanta et Hashem besimcha Because you didn't serve Hashem besimcha. Now understand, this is an unbelievable puzzle. Not because you didn't listen to Hashem. That's the beginning of the prayer. The beginning of the prayer says, If you don't listen to God and you don't do the mitzvah, this is going to be the result. Put aside theologically how difficult that is. We can get to that in the Q&A. But the middle it says, No, not because you didn't listen to Hashem. You listened to Hashem. You just didn't do it b'simcha. What kind of nonsense is that? Because you didn't do it b'simcha? Who does it b'simcha? Let me ask you a question. You're going to get back and you're going to come to the base of Memphis. 
And next Thursday night, we're going to have a Marev here. And then at the end of Marev, we're going to have a Parshashi. And then after the Parshashi, we're going to close out the lights, we're going to have Chadar Choshech. It's going to be unbelievable. And then we're going to open up the floor to Q&A with Chont. That's going to be more of a minute. And at the end of the whole night, we're going to say, by the way, if anybody wants, tomorrow morning there'll be a minion. The Shana Bekais are always there. 8.30 minion Friday morning. Now I'd like to believe that after two weeks of quarantine, it'll be packed. Every single Shana Aleph boy will be there at 8.30. If you do this, by the way, you will be the first Shana Aleph in a right to history where every single guy made it to, to the first 8.30 minion. That'd be unbelievable. Okay. Let's say you do that. And you wake up and you're tired and you get there. Now you're putting out the film. And you turn to your friends and say, Whoa, baby! We're going to tefillinize now! They'll look at you like you're out of your mind. And you start putting on the tefillin. You're like, Whoa! They'll look at you like you're a moron. Who puts on tefillin like that? And you see your buddy say, Hey, ready to tefillin? Whoa, high five! We don't, we don't, we don't do it that way. Because you didn't do it basimcha? What does that even mean? So what do we have to do? We have to understand what is Simcha. So listen to this idea. Because I believe this is a foundational idea in Judaism. You know what Simcha is? The Shana guys all know this already. You know what Simcha is? So when you get to your Chabba, one day, you're going to meet the right girl. You know, I don't know, uh, David Lorand, walking through the Rova Square, he's got his mask on, he's a good bucher, star, a couple weeks, and he's like mumbling to him to himself. You know? And he walks through the Rova Square and there's a girl. She's walking by. And he suddenly catches a word of she's saying and he realizes she's going through Maria Cheska. That's unbelievable. So he stops and talks to her. He thinks she's the one. He's excited. Right? And he starts to date her. It's geschmacked. And then a month goes, and you can see he's walking around the basement. She's floating in air. He's smiling. He's met the girl of his dreams. Yechezka. After a month, comes in and wants to start Mishnayos. She's not into Mishnah. He's devastated. He's destroyed. She says to him, listen, if you're not going to do Bavri, I'm not in. And she dumps him. She crushes him. Poor David Lorand. He's crushed. A month goes by. He's never... He's walking through the Rova Square. He's been in Yeshiva for a month or two. Now he's serious. Now he's already learning Gemara. You know, maybe he's in Rav Gavriel Shir. Maybe he's in Rav Noam Shir. And he's, you know, he's doing Azvachim. Serious, you know, the yeshiva's doing sukkah, but he wants to be serious, he's ready for the, He's doing zvachim. And he walks through the Rova Square and he sees another girl. And this girl's doing chagiga. He's like, zvachim and chagiga, it's natural. So he goes over, he starts to talk to her. He says, so you know the story of Elisha ben Avuya? She says, the story of Elisha ben Avuya, are you kidding me? It's unbelievable! And they start dating. And this time, three months. Three months, it's kishmacht. And one way she says to him, so did you catch the marasha? And you say there, because you're only three months in yeshiva, who's the marasha? And that's it. It's over. It's over. You don't know who the Marsha is. Forget about it. What do you mean? And you're dumped. And poor David Laurent. He's crushed. She's dumping him. He's dumped. And I want you to know, Hashem should bless you. You find the right girl in a hurry. But you know, sometimes you meet a girl, then she dumps you, and then you meet a girl and you dump her, and it's like a big dump-a-thon. It doesn't end. Months, years. And you see, it's, 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 it's exhausting. And one day... You meet that girl. And she's unbelievable. You're studying Baba Kama. She's studying Baba Basra. Let's do Baba Metziah. It's in the middle. It's Kishmak. And that's it. And the next thing you know, you're standing under the chuppah. And you realize you found the girl of your dreams. And in that moment, under the chuppah, you say to yourself, thank God 
I didn't make all those mistakes. Thank God I didn't end up with that one or that one, because that would that was all a mistake. Right? No. You know what you sing under the chuppah? You sing Samech to Samach Be of joy, be of so much joy. Best friends. You know why under the chuppah it's not just Samech, it's Samech to Samach, it's so much joy, so much simcha? Because when you're under your chuppah, you suddenly get what the whole journey was about. You realize that every girl you ever met, the five-year-old who dumped you when you were six, the whole thing, it was all part of your journey. There was a purpose to it all. Because you needed to learn who you are and who you're looking for. Simcha is all about purpose. Simcha is because the whole journey makes sense. You know why we say, V'samachta b'chagecha dafka, in Emor, it says in the festival of Sukkot, it doesn't say, V'samachta b'chagecha, you shall rejoice on the festival on Pesach. And it doesn't say it on Shavuot, even though there is that obligation. It says it on Sukkot. You know why? Because Pesach represents the first fruit. Pesach represents, sorry, the first planting. I just planted, it's the beginning. Shavuot, Bikurim, first fruits. But Sukkot, Sukkot is Ba'aspacha when I gather in the harvest. Sukkot is when the whole journey makes sense. By the way, Sukkot is related to entering to the land of Israel for the same reason. It suddenly makes sense. Simcha is all about purpose. You bring your Bikurim up to the base of Mikdash and you rejoice because all of a sudden, when does it all make sense? When I finally get home. This quarantine doesn't make a lot of sense. I'm stuck in a room. But when you get to this base Medrash and you suddenly realize what you did 14 days of quarantine for, you're going to explode. It's going to be unbelievable. Because all of a sudden it makes sense. There's a purpose to it all. The Rambam says, Simcha is the foundation of it all. You want to know why the Jewish people stops listening to Hashem? And nobody, they don't start by calling out and saying, let's burn each other, let's hate each other, let's eat cheeseburgers. It starts with something simple. It starts, Tachat Hashem Besimcha. It's not Shalavat, that's not you didn't serve Hashem. In service, you do it. You go to show, you daven in a minion, but you have no idea why you're doing it. You learn Gemara because they tell you in eleventh grade you have to learn Gemara, but you have no idea why you're learning Gemara. <clears throat> You've been putting on tefillin ginger by mitzvah, but you have no idea why you're doing it. Says the Rambam, if you live Judaism without any meaning, eventually there'll be nothing left of it. Eventually, you will be the beginning of Perichavchet. You will be. Right, When you don't listen to anything Hashem says, because why would you listen if it makes no sense? The entire purpose of this, when you will come to the land, that's when you're ready to start to understand what this was all about. And that's this year. This year, the journey of Oraita, the year that you've given yourselves, is to figure out what it's all about. Why do we do what we do? What does it mean to me? For, for 5, 10, 15 years... 20 years, people have been telling you, this is what you're supposed to do. Now you get to ask yourself, what is this really about? What does it mean to me? How is it relevant in my life? How do I make sense of it? By the way, don't misunderstand this to mean that until it makes sense to me, I don't do it. If you live life that way, you'll have a miserable life. If you have to understand everything your wife says to you before you do it, you'll have a terrible marriage. Lots of things we do even though we don't Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.